Welcome to the Virginia Economic Review podcast. Welcome to the Virginia Economic Review podcast. This is Stephen Moray, President and CEO of the Virginia Economic Development Partnership. Today, I'm delighted to have the opportunity to speak with Stephen Edwards, the new CEO and Executive Director of the Port of Virginia. Before joining the port, he was President and CEO of TREPAC, which operates container terminals in California and Florida. Stephen, thank you for joining us today. I also must say, while I was not on the search committee, I do sit on the Virginia Port Authority Board, as you know, and all of us were so very impressed with Stephen's credentials, his global experience, and really everything that he is bringing to the Port of Virginia. He's really coming to Virginia at a great time, a time when the port has a lot of momentum and has an opportunity to transition toward a new growth opportunities across Virginia, contributing not just to the growth of Hampton Roads, but to the Commonwealth as a whole. So first of all, Stephen, welcome to Virginia. Excited to have you as part of our team at the port, as well as our economic development team across the Commonwealth. Why don't we just start by sharing a little bit about what drew you to the position at the Port of Virginia? Well, Stephen, firstly, thank you very much for for the welcome. I think everybody in in Virginia has really given me a very warm welcome to to the Commonwealth. And whether whether the people are working for the port or stakeholders around the port, economic developments, under folk in Richmond, it's really been a a very warm welcome I've received, and, and that's been highly appreciated. Taking your question of what drew me to the position of the Port of Virginia, I've had the advantage in my career to be involved with port and shipping operations in many locations, and including to a degree in the past some involvement at Virginia, But although that was some time ago. The Port of Virginia has responsibility for a large range of port activities. It's across the infrastructure and the infrastructure construction and building. Subsidiaries operate the port, so we've got direct operating responsibility for the port operations and the delivery of the service levels. We've got commercial oversight for the port and direct involvement in economic development when when appropriate to the port. And that really is the attraction of the, the role. It's the ability to really concentrate on port excellence and how to compete on an interport basis and how to build a gateway port. So how to grow the gateway of the Port of Virginia, uh, primarily through Hampton Roads. That is quite different from some other roles in, in ports where you do spend quite a lot of time sometimes on intraport competition or the difference between the terminal operating arm and the landlord infrastructure arm. The real attraction here was to be able to take that total gateway approach and say, how can I lead an organization and help that organization really grow as a gateway port? That's what really drew me to the position. As you look at the Port of Virginia today, what do you think really sets it apart from its other competitors on the East Coast? And how have some of those recent infrastructure and modernization investments affected its value prop? As we look at the United States supply chain or the United States maritime commerce, you've really got this situation where the large part of the population, two-thirds of the population, is east of the Mississippi. And therefore, the ports on the East Coast have got this opportunity to grow market share because still today, a significant amount of business comes through the western, the Californian ports, and is railed across to the Ohio Valley, the Midwest, and partly to the East Coast. So the East Coast ports as a whole have got this opportunity that if we can provide excellent service, we can attract cargo to come through the eastern seaboard to get to the market as to where the population lives. The recent improvements have really improved the value proposition because we've modernized the ports. So they're much more capable than they were only four or five years ago. And increasingly, ports, I think, have to be viewed as supply chain enablers. Today's world, that's where we can differentiate as a provider by really providing that modern capability and that excellence of service that importers and exporters are looking for. If we do that well, we should see some market share increase compared to our competitors. 
you bring to the Port of Virginia quite an interesting set of experiences that you've had you know, around the world that are relevant to this space and to this leadership role. How does your experience in the private sector in the industry inform your philosophy with leading the port as a you know, public entity in Virginia? And something that I've been looking hard at is to say, how does an executive where all my experience has been on that private sector bring value to the public sector operations? I've kind of looked at my experience and been fortunate in a number of areas. I've worked in publicly listed groups where you're heavily driven by your publicly quoted share price. I've worked for some of the most sophisticated private equity groups and international investors where your share price may not be public but you're heavily driven to your shareholder value. And I think the other side of the experience that I hope to bring to the port is that I've worked for shipping lines as well as worked in the port and logistics sector. So when it comes to dealing with shipping lines and their experiences as a customer, I hope to be able to translate some of that to a port as a provider to that same sector. So if we think through what do you need to do well to be successful, and I'd start with good governance. Good enterprises have good governance. If I think about port operations, it starts with safety and operations. Good governance, safety and operations, they're the same if you're in the public sector or the private sector. How are you identifying and mitigating the risks that are in front of an enterprise? And how do you sustainably grow? Now, a key one for us in Virginia, how do you sustainably grow port operations? And I think the private sector is increasingly aware, and they certainly were in the companies that I worked for in the past, a very big change in their awareness of their sustainability responsibilities. And I actually think we can bring some leading practices across from the private sector also to the public sector there. And then I think the last two I had on my list even were areas I also think are quite similar. One is employ the best people. You really want an organization whether it's in the private sector or the public sector, to have the best people within it. And I think that's a very similar goal. And then the last one, I think, is the only one where there might be some slight differentiation, and that's build shareholder value. If you're in the private sector, you're trying to build shareholder value. If you're in the public sector, you're trying to build shareholder value. In the case of the Port of Virginia, this wonderful enterprise, the shareholder is, of course, the Commonwealth of Virginia. The success of ports, whether you're in the private sector or the public sector, is to attract people to use the port. The measure of shareholder value may be slightly different between the public sector and the private sector, because in the public sector, we may be more of an enabler than a pure financial play. But at the end of the day, we have to meet our shareholders' expectations, and the Commonwealth of Virginia is really going to be looking for the port to be a catalyst of economic growth and a catalyst of economic strength for the Commonwealth. And with that comes a strong performance and strong returns. So I do believe that really the building blocks you need from the private sector all align themselves with the public sector. You may just take a slightly different look at what is that measure of shareholder return, because it may be measured in wider economic value than the pure financial returns to the shareholder. But overall, I think there's a lot of expertise that can come across from the private to the public sector in this area. What kinds of things come to mind as some of the biggest challenges facing ports in the United States? Here, not just the Port of Virginia, but ports in general in the United States over the next several years and beyond. Are there some kind of shared challenges out there that leaders of ports are going to have to tackle? We're in an industry where it's scaling up. The analogy I would really use is when the airline industry decided to go to much significantly greater sizes of aircraft and airports had to extend runways or build greater passenger terminals. You have the same in our industry with the size of vessels. We've seen that recently in the news with the Suez Canal incident. What we're seeing is significantly larger volumes of trade moving on individual vessels. And that creates infrastructure challenges of surge capacity, bottlenecks that can really rear up quite quickly if there isn't proper planning in place. 
the investments that the port has made in the modernization programs in the last years, which are really going to help. You not only plan for big surges, but how do you use technology to manage through those surges? And how do you therefore interact with your railroad partners, with your trucking industry partners, with your third-party logistics companies? These are challenges that exist in any point of a transportation chain, whether you're dealing with goods or with passengers, and whether you're dealing with warehousing or container terminals. This industry was moving to a more of an e-commerce retail chain anyway, but it's been highly accelerated by the impact of the pandemic. That has changed certain modes that we've used to bring goods in on non-traditional patterns for onward distribution. I think that ability to point-and-click visibility to wherever you are in the supply chain, wherever your goods may be, the use of technology to interact with your supply chain partners, and the sheer scale that says, I mean, I think back to when I started in this industry, and I started in this industry around about 1989, 1990, and here I am with ships coming in now that are five times bigger than the ships that were being operated then. That's a huge scale difference. I want to expand on that a bit. You know, we've seen that big shift toward larger ships, and we've also seen one of the unintended consequences, right, with one of those big vessels, the recent incident with the Suez Canal. What do ports need to be doing in terms of infrastructure to allow them to accommodate these ships? Is there anything the U.S. should be thinking about at a national level in that regard? It's a good question to put it in the context of the national versus the state level. I think we have two or three different areas where ports individually have done a superb job. One of the biggest advantages of Ports of Virginia as a whole is on the maritime side for the port, we have the natural harbor, we have the gateway of the maritime base of Hampton Roads. So when we think through handling larger ships to begin with, deeper and wider channels, stronger berths within the ports, larger cranes, the surge capacity I was referencing earlier, and that ability to quickly move through the rail system, through into the truck system, and the technologies and the systems that get applied to that so you can go through a densified, highly stacked operation using technology to get the deliveries to the right truck at the right time. All of that, I think, is areas that the Port of Virginia has really set itself up for success. So I think as we think through the work that's gone on in the past on dedicated rail corridors, but how we push through alternative means, such as the operations we're now running to and from Richmond, or using inland rail ports even further within Virginia, and maybe that we need to look at that increasingly within Virginia as as opportunity to enable to distribute these large volumes out to give the opportunity for more resilience within the wider supply chains. We have to concentrate our investments in a number of ports that can really handle these vessels well, and Virginia is superbly placed for that on the maritime side, then build very efficient distribution networks into the right sites. Those sites don't have to be 500 miles away. They can just be 50 to 100 miles away where we can really distribute the cargo into the domestic freight network. As I look at it, I think the lessons here are the speed with which you can evacuate the port of the cargo or bring the cargo into the port if you're on the agricultural export side and the ability to consolidate or deconsolidate that cargo quickly at more than one location at a number of sites. This sort of orchestra that all has to be conducted carefully to make it all work together. The last year or so during the COVID-19 pandemic has obviously created some significant challenges for the industry here in Virginia and nationally and globally. What steps do you think ports can take to help ensure the viability of the supply chain for future crises and future pandemics? During the pandemic, Port of Virginia can largely say job well done. The port has operated throughout. 
that is the credit to everybody involved in the port and its operations and all the stakeholders that are involved. And when you think through those stakeholders of bringing ships and cargo through the port, it will start with responsibilities for the security of the port with people such as the Coast Guard. It'll move through the ship pilot, the operators in the terminals. But really, when we think through, it's the operating arm of the ports and terminals where our employees, our labor force have to operate day in, day out to move the cargo. And the fact that it has moved and continued to move and moved in record volumes since late summer of last year is a credit to everybody involved. The lessons really in the early part of the pandemic were the ability of the industry to be declared as an essential industry. I think that was very important because the message was we're going to continue to operate. It really was roll your sleeves up time. How can we continue to do this in a way that we can keep people safe? Having a strong safety program and having the proper protocols in place to begin with, allowed that to happen. And then having the trust between the stakeholders, the trust between the employee labor force, between the trade union leadership with the management of the port. I think Virginia did a very excellent job there of coordinating through well-known managers who were able to put command centers in place to actually get the protocols down so that people could operate well and safely. I think the one area that we're still struggling with in international supply chains, the seafarers, the people on the ship, there still are really no proper international protocols for those people. We need to take a hat off to them. They have been operating ships year-round, and the ability to do crew changes has been highly limited. How do you protect people who are really in an international environment, maybe operating far from home at a time like this? We have learned more now about the capabilities of some of the technologies. We've also, though, learned about how the basics of trusting people, of how command centers can work exceptionally well, really does help build the confidence of everybody in those operations. The lessons I think we can take from this are having those command centers correctly, people knowing who all the parties are and what their responsibilities are, and how quickly people can come together to get through what really last March was an immediate issue when the emergency orders from the governor came out to say, you must respond and you must respond now, would be quite similar in the event of how to recover from natural disaster, how to recover from some other unfortunate events. Really, what has been demonstrated here throughout the pandemic is time and time again, as you've asked managers to step up to help the operations, they've stepped up. And I think that shows whatever the occasion, you've got a good team. What is your focus in you know, the first few months at the port? Some initial broad strokes of some of the big goals you envisioned trying to tackle during your tenure. You know, I arrived in the middle of January to this role. I came from Southern California, and if you recall, Southern California in the middle of January was at a peak of a pandemic crisis. I really arrived expecting to see nobody in person. Getting to know people was a little different. You didn't follow the normal playbook of leadership, which is walk the floor and say hello to people and get out on site to meet people because that's not possible. I've tried my best to meet with most of my colleagues, either in person, but for a large number of them, it's been virtually. That's all, of course, not ideal, but I think we've managed to do a pretty good job of doing that. Get to know the stakeholders and the poor the supply chain partners, all the people that this codependency on that they can't operate without us and we can't operate without them. That, I think, has all largely largely been achieved and there's more to do, more people to meet and, and get to know. But as a whole, I think in, in general, that's been pretty good. I think I've also been fortunate that I've arrived at a time when the port is very busy. And that's good because when 
business is strong, then people are busy and that creates a buzz. It creates good feelings around the place. When I look now to a degree going forward, I think we've got this opportunity in Virginia to really build off the foundational base of what we have in modernization of the port. And that's how do we really build these strong partnerships with the other players in the supply chain? And how do we build those alignments to make sure that we're all looking to grow the port? You asked about some of the the keystrokes going forward. How do we organize for strategic growth? And and how do we build those strong partnerships with the railroads in particular, with the largest importers, the agricultural exporters? I think there's been a lot of good work done here on decarbonization. There's more to do, and that will be a focus of some of our future investments. How do we continue to improve our carbon footprint? How do we make sure we've got the right talent on board in the organization? And how are we going to manage this going forward in a virtual or on-site arena. I think we've got these wonderful challenges of we want to take and grow this port, build further infrastructure for further growth. How do we do that with lots and lots of other players within the wider supply chain? How do we do that with our economic development partners so that we're a real contributor in that area? When we spoke with your predecessor, John Reinhardt, a couple of years ago, one of the things he talked about was the port really long-term plan, you know, looking decades ahead for future growth. Any thoughts about near-term actions to help position the port for, you know, where it's going to be two or three decades from now? The port has got a good plan for a really significant good infrastructure plan to service the business. And I think for those who know the area, I think there are two now very modernized container port facilities, one known as Virginia International Gateway operating in Portsmouth, the other known as Norfolk International Terminals, where the southern side of that over in Norfolk has been um, densified and modernized as well. Both of those are operating very, very well at high operating levels. It's a great credit to the team here that having built really in the last five years, the second phase of the facility in Portsmouth and the complete rebuild of the facility in Norfolk, both of those went exceptionally well. And it really was a case of take what was originally built, enhance and replicate, enhance and replicate. There are now really three projects that are now going on at the moment in the next part of that plan. The first one, which is very important to the port as a whole, is the dredging of the channels coming in to make them deeper and wider, to be positioned the port to be very, very capable to handle these large ships. It's exceptionally important that we get that to completion with the right federal funding. But it's on target at the moment in terms of the speed at which we're fulfilling that dredge. That's critical to make sure the channels are right for these large ships. We hope to commence in the middle of this year the expansion and modernization of the rail yard on the Norfolk side of the harbour. We've already fulfilled that in on the Portsmouth side, but building a more modern rail facility on the Norfolk side of the harbour so we've got more rail capacity and we can move our rail boxes quicker, more efficiently, more capacity with a significantly lower carbon footprint. Ability to build bigger surge capacity to move rail quicker. So those are the two container basis ones that are ongoing in, say, in motion and are really at the starting phase of projects that will now take a few years to complete. The other one that is in motion is how to support the offshore wind industry. As you know, Stephen, the offshore wind industry is a big opportunity for the Commonwealth with the offshore wind farms, which Dominion Energy is planning. We're in the process of looking at our older Portsmouth Marine Terminal that we've now taken away from container terminal operations, and how can that facility be used to support that wider growth and the opportunities that we'll bring to support that industry. And that's really quite exciting opportunity for the area and for the Commonwealth. We do expect to see further growth in trade and we position the port well. We can then really look at two or three or four areas. There are further areas within our Norfolk International Terminal which we can modernize and we can build further rail capacity there. And perhaps most importantly, we've got to start looking 
at the inland piece that says, how do we position the hinterland to this port to make sure we are not only building the port, but bringing the hinterland capabilities to match the port? How do we take the port to I-95 and how do we connect to the wider domestic supply chains? up in Richmond using the barge networks or further inland using the Norfolk Southern and the CSX rail networks so that we can attract supply chain or exporting industries into the Commonwealth. You're really going to have your hands full in the next few years. Is there anything else you'd want to share with our readers, our listeners, and, you know, for context? I think if I was talking to a site selector or a CEO who's looking at where to do business. What I would say is that the Port of Virginia is the most exciting port on the East Coast. What drew me here was the ability to say, look, you've got the capability to oversee the entire gateway, but it's also doing so with the most modern facility on the East Coast. I had the good fortune in the past to work with some of my current colleagues who have had oversight of some of these projects, and they really have performed to a high level to the way the port is now operating. Then I would hope that they'd look at Virginia and say there's a high degree of confidence in these port operations and not only a high degree of confidence that they will work or that they do work, but a high degree of confidence that we've built resiliency, we've built decarbonization into this process. So we're looking at high performing, modern, sustainable port facilities and that we know how to grow them and stay ahead of the demand curve so they can take their business, bring it to Virginia and say, we've got the confidence to do business in the Commonwealth as a whole because we know we can bank on the port. You've made a very strong positive impression so far with the business community and the public leadership of the Commonwealth. And we're very excited about Port of Virginia's impact on the Commonwealth of Virginia's economic development in the years ahead. Thank you for joining us today. And we look forward to continuing to cover your leadership during your tenure, as well as the continued developments at the Port of Virginia. This podcast has been brought to you by the Virginia Economic Development Partnership. Thanks for listening.